Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice and impact. Due diligence on Classic Business is brought to you by Deal Leaders International Leaders in Mergers and Acquisitions. Now, if you're a business owner navigating the world of uh, M&A, as it's known, I think understanding the distinction between an offer and a deal is crucial. And we know the M&A landscape is uh, riddled with jargon and intricate processes that can be daunting. But I think knowing the nuances between the two can uh, significantly impact your strategic decision making and the way you enter and exit negotiations. Uh, to talk about this, I'm joined by Andrew Bolman, Chief Executive Corporate and Advisory Deal Leaders International. Andrew, good to chat again. Can you just provide a concise definition of what constitutes an offer in the context of, of um, M&A? Hi, Michael. Yeah, thanks again. Yeah, an offer essentially is, in most cases, it's non-binding, and it's a non-binding expression of interest, including a valuation structure and, and an, on the assumption that the due diligence and everything is going to play out. And, and probably if you were, if I were to move away from M&A speak and just say, like, what is an actual offer? It's almost a ticket to the game. The offer is almost made in good faith because there's clearly a lot of work that needs to happen behind there. But when we ask for an offer, by definition, it's who's buying, what are you buying, what is the value that you're going to be paying, how you're going to fund it, and what is the timeline. Right. So that that that's really kind of that framework, if you like, that that, that one looks to. But like I said, it, it is the first of about you know, 20 steps. <laughs> but, but those are the key components that you, you're looking for in, in that offer. How does it typically get initiated in, in the M&A process? Receiving the offer. So, yeah, I think it's, it's when you go to market and it comes down to, you know, you've got to have the right market approach strategy. You've got to find the right buyers because it's it's quite interesting. It's it's quite easy to sit down and uh, in fact I did it as a as a side exercise with ChatGPT the other day and I said like I've got this this type of client, please find me some buyers and it was quite impressive like what it's fed out. But <laughs> but that that that's kind of the you know that theory and I think it's you initiate the offer process through engagement and relationship with the right types of buyers. So you've got to you know engage the market share sufficient information to give them comfort that they then can say look we this does fit our investment mandate we would like to put in you know put in an offer and all depending on the process that one runs um and and then you, you bring it from there and i think it's it's a balancing act because you know we've seen it many many times where you've got to give a party sufficient information for them to put something meaningful forward but it's not a full due diligence because then you lose power as you know as, yeah. as as the business owner um so it's definitely a process it's an iterative process and it's not necessarily a quick process and i think that's where you know i've come across you know other advisors where they guarantee they can get clients five offers it's quite easy i mean i could probably walk around my building and get people <laughs> to put in offers it's 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 meaningless if it hasn't got the right backing you're not dealing with the yeah. right pedigree of buyer you know and all of those things well i mean uh, not that i'm uh, familiar with the app but i just have uh, children across the age spectrum and it's like swiping right on tinder um, i think anyone could do it uh, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to find your your dream soulmate on the other end uh, and that's where we get into some of the, the 
the detail. And, you know, as you said earlier, there's lots of jargon in the space, lots of three letter acronyms. The next is letter of intent, L-O-I. How does a letter of intent or a non-binding offer play a role in the early stages of negotiation? And what the Mm. what is the main purpose here of a letter of intent? Yeah, it's quite interesting because if I were to go back, say, 10 years, a non-binding offer, you know, we always it's almost like off the side of your desk on the back of a cigarette box. But ironically, these days, um, again, dealing with the right parties, the non-binding offer or the letter of intent has the backing of the entity doing the the buying or the investment committee or or whatever it may, may be. So, you know, the letter of intent is normally a bit looser in our experience because it, it doesn't necessarily bring in you know, sufficient detail around value and, and structure. But there's we, we would like to move to the next stage so we can get closer to the numbers and putting something mean, meaningful. We're seeing more and more now that the, the non-binding offer versus the letter of intent is a lot more detailed. And it's really saying that all things being equal, everything's stacking up in a due diligence. We believe the valuation is X and, and whatever it may be. So much of a muchness between the two. I think it's really around the degree of detail. But the big thing for, you know, through that process is the fact that we find and we insist on it with non-binding offers is they, they're non-binding, but the um, the binding is in a much bigger font than the non because it's gone through the approval process and it needs to stack up, you know, accordingly. Um, so yeah, that's that that's a very important step. Um, you know, non-bindings we've seen them over the years uh, that are just very loose. It's just too risky because you, you're now going to bring somebody into the in, inner sanctum of your business. You can't let them do that. You know, you can't yeah. allow it until such time as at least you've got a bit of a framework and a scope of what this deal is going to look like. Yeah, it's uh, you know back to that Tinder analogy. It's bringing oh. the significant other over to the the Christmas uh, dinner or the yeah, Christmas exactly. lunch, whatever you might do. You know that's into the inner sanctum. Exactly. You, you've you've got to be fairly confident uh, that this individual is is, is serious, and that, that's when it comes down to negotiation dynamics uh, as well. Mm. How does that then impact uh, the negotiations? Because you know it's it's mm. so important, and you mentioned it last time out that. You, you're going to now go slowly into a due diligence process. And really what you want to do is put everything out on the table right up front. You don't want to be finding yeah. things in the due diligence that you should have mentioned yeah. right up front. What are the keys That's to right. remember here? Yeah, so, so I think I think the, the starting point always, so, so the overall framework, I guess, of the deal structure will be defined in, in the, the non-binding offer, whatever it is. Moving to the next stage, it's, you know, we always say is, Work on the relationship first. You know, don't go straight into into negotiation. And when we say work on the relationship, it's critical for all parties. Although there's a buy and a sell, and you would think it's like it's, you know, win lose one against the other, whatever it may be. You've got to get onto the same hymn sheet, and, and that starts with the buyer saying, "These are the risks we see, and this is the work we're going to need to do." And the seller saying, "Well, you know, I agree or I disagree, or we can't provide this, or or, or whatever it may be." Because what, what often happens is you run these two parallel processes and it comes to a head after three months and everyone's got fatigue and exhausted versus getting it all right up front. But it's really understanding each other's context. You know, mm. so it's, although, you know, and I always laugh at this, you're right with the acronyms and it's like this red ocean stuff. It's not, it's about relationships and building trust. You know, I use the analogy, in fact, with a potential buyer yesterday, like we're kind of dancing around the ring or the dance floor. Let's just start dancing. Like really, because then we can start really understanding. Let's go in with good faith. We define how this thing's going to work. Now let's understand each each other's worlds and map out a plan. 
because I think we've seen it, and I'm sure mis- many business owners listening, it's a very reactive process if you don't have a plan. And the reaction is based on what the buyer wants. So that alignment up front and mapping out, this is, these are the key issues. This is what we need. This is what we're going to be looking at. Can you help us? You know, and, and, and this is how it's going to flow from there. These are our approval processes. Because the one thing we do know is when you get a, a non-binding offer, it's got an, you know, a, a preliminary approval subject to other things needing to happen and comfort being gained. So it's kind of you need to understand what are the hoops that have to be jumped through. But collectively, let's agree on the hoops. Let me not, you know, kind of roll over and just become this reactive. Um, it's like yeah. a ping pong ball, if you yeah. like. Yeah. Um, because because business owners, we've seen it. They've still got to run their business. So it becomes hugely distracting. So that alignment is critical and getting to the issues quickly. You know, I always, you know, why why mess around? You know, put it out there. There's a great a great part of a of a share purchase agreement, which is the disclosure schedule. Just disclose on day one. These are the real issues because they're going to find them anyway. And then at least you go and ask what happened. And I believe it's a huge step in building trust because you've got to build trust through this journey. Yeah, and it helps you then when you've kind of refined the terms and you understand um, and, and you're dancing on the floor to then get down to something through the due diligence process that is going to yeah. uh, d- deliver a favorable outcome. For, for both mm. parties, and that's really what you want here. In the due diligence, h- how does the DD fit into the process following the, the presentation of the offer and and now yep. you started refining the terms of the offer? How does then that segue into the, the mm. formal DD? Yes, so basically in refining those those terms, whatever there's, there, it starts with an, an information request list, and this often scares the proverbial out of, out of business owners. It's a very generally a very comprehensive list around what the buyer and the buyer's DD team need to work through to get comfort that that they know what they're actually buying. Mm. And this would be broken down between financial, tax, uh, human capital, legal, you know, all, all these various things. So that that's the starting point. You know, the next step for a business owner is then to say, well, now I've got to put all, the, put all this information together. Not great to have to do it all at that stage. Hopefully you're working or you've had a plan and you can collate it as you're getting closer to this point. But it's to put all of that together and make it accessible to the buyer. So I think most, you know, we use virtual data rooms these days. Most people, you know, use it. And <laughs> VDR is another acronym. Um, it's really around, the, it's, it's an online audit file that's, and it's secure. So I think that's a big thing for business owners is, you know, you get this, this laundry list of, of information that, that's required. Now you've got to drop your shorts. You know, now people want to see you know, all the nuts and bolts. So by putting it into, you know, having the right compliance framework and, and governance framework in one of these virtual data rooms, at least gives you comfort that the information is secure, it's not being sent on email. And then what happens is the team, that the due diligence team start working through that list and they start engaging, asking questions, you know, wanting to see see things. So, so yeah, the due diligence in many cases is very similar to an audit. Yeah. Um, but it's obviously a lot more risk and value based. Um, and that, that becomes a very exhausting and draining process if it's not managed carefully. So, yeah, you, you, we always find rather delay the start of the actual due diligence work and spend a bit more time getting the information right versus being on, on a hamster wheel, trying to react mm. to a whole lot of things. And I always say to business owners as well, sometimes just say, no, like I can't provide that, you know, and, you know, let's find another way. What is the real risk? I can't do five years of granular detail because my system doesn't allow it. So, yeah, it becomes quite a regimented process. Um, 
again got to be structured there's got to be a timeline you've got to you, that trigger as well as so you've got to often you know business owners are not comfortable with you know due diligence teams going through their whole business because they haven't told their business their team yet because there isn't a successful um, transaction yet so it becomes quite calculating and who does what and that's why the you know being able to do it in the cloud is is often e easy as well than face to face but it is required and that those nuances have to be mm. have to be managed because the last thing you want is you know your team finding out and then you know there's a whole lot of speculation or customers or suppliers or whatever yeah. it may be yeah so that that's a that's you know that's quite a, and uh, through experience we probably uh, that due diligence phase typically is between four and eight weeks you know on average um but you've still got to manage it you've got to manage those resources carefully and it's remarkable i was chatting to ari marie of ansarada they they hold they're a virtual deal room yes. provider and he says michael i've seen so many businesses looking their most polished, the best in this process, uh, getting everything refined and into the virtual data room and uh, all the financials polished and uh, all the yep. all the key contracts um, unearthed yep. and ensure that, that, that often through the process, sometimes a seller can look at everything and say, uh-oh, I've got a bit more value here on the table. And then they cancel the, the deal right there. <laughs> what what, what often, do you see that? And, and what might yeah, lead to do. a termination <laughs> of an offer through the process? Yeah, it's quite interesting. We, uh, in fact, uh, I think we chatted last week and I, 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 you know, I told you about it. We had that way. You know, I, I think what's quite interesting is, is as a business owner, you've always had a, your business, you've built this business over the years and it's you looking out. You've never looked in objectively. And because there's no need, you've built this successfully. But when you start going to market and, and this process starts almost holding up a mirror to say, this is what you've actually built, mm. you know, and, and, and you realize that there's all of these, to your point, there's, there's refinement, there's enhancement. I've had a client where we going through that, that process, their profitability was actually 40% higher than they thought it was. And, um, you know, all, all of those things and guys realized, geez, what am I doing? This is actually, I've built something incredible and it's better than I thought it would be. And what's quite interesting is it becomes, you would think, like I mentioned earlier, like some clients, it's fatigue and you just, others get re-energized and they say like, no, I'm not ready. I'm, I'm really not ready. And we see that particularly in business owners younger than 55, you know, they're like, no, no ways. I've got five years and, and you know, I've actually got 10 years now and I can build something out there. So yeah, that, that comment that is, is <laughs> it's a real risk, unfortunately. But great for the business owner because they can actually objectively see what they've really built. And in many cases, it's something incredible. Andrew, uh, it's always incredible getting your insights. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there. Next time we chat, Thank we'll you. transition from that offer stage to a deal, an actual deal, Perfect. and uh, and some of the processes in that as well. Andrew Bowman, uh, as always, a great pleasure. Chief Executive, Corporate and Advisory at Deal Leaders International, sharing some insights into the difference between an offer and a deal in this week's due diligence. Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice and impact.